Amazing. Good morning. Uh, my name is Rory. Um, I'm on the staff team here at HTC, and it's my privilege this morning to begin our next sermon series. Um, for the next three weeks here at the 11 o'clock service, we are going to be looking at the book of 1 Timothy, in particular chapter 6, and we're going to be thinking about what it means uh, to have contentment and how we can find it. What is the path to our contentment? So I thought I'd start by asking the obvious question which is, what is contentment to you? At what times do you feel most content? I know for me, contentment looks like spending time with my fiance Hannah, or watching TV on a comfy sofa, or maybe escaping out into the countryside uh, for a, a day in the, out there. They are all things that satisfy me, that refresh me, that re-energize me, the things that I enjoy. Perhaps you are content with your current living situation, or your current employment, or the school your children are at. We'll, we'll all have these things in life that bring us enjoyment, that bring us contentment, that we are happy with. But can we take lasting contentment in them? In this series, we're not thinking of contentment as those individual moments of enjoyment or satisfaction. We're thinking about contentment as something that's going to satisfy us for eternity. And the main thing we're going to see is that money cannot do that for us. Money cannot provide us with eternal satisfaction. So yes, we are going to be talking about money. And that might immediately make you feel really uncomfortable. I know it does for me. That's understandable. You don't want me telling you how you should use your money. And hopefully I'm not going to do that. But can I reassure you that this series is not to tell us that we shouldn't earn money or we shouldn't have money. But we're going to talk about our attitudes to money. Why we shouldn't love money. So let's get stuck in with today's passage. At the end of your rows, you'll find a service sheet. Um, Please be careful not to pick up the Habakkuk ones there for tonight, um, but the 1 Timothy 6 ones. Um, And I am going to read 1 Timothy 6, verses 3 to 10. So 1 Timothy 6, verses 3 to 10. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, They are conceited and they understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Shall I pray as we start? Father, would you be with us now as I try and unpack uh, this bit of scripture? Would you help me to speak words from you? May they be of you and glorifying to you. May all those other words that are just from me, may they fall by the wayside. And would you help us to really engage with what you're saying uh, through this passage? In Jesus' name, amen. Money, money, money. 
It must be funny in the rich man's world. Money, money, money. It's always sunny in the rich man's world. All the things that I can do if I had a little money. It's the rich man's world. Abba's famous lyrics paint a picture of how money supposedly brings contentment to the world. It suggests that money is light-hearted. It's funny. It's always sunny. It suggests that the world belongs to the rich man. Our culture nowadays thrives off consumerism. There are ads everywhere trying to sell us the latest things. Buy this. You need that. This will bring you happiness. It can be a bit overwhelming, the constant temptation to use your money. You may remember back in September 2016 um, that all the advert boards at Clapham Common Tube Station uh, were taken over with photos of cats. Um, it was organised by a group called the Citizens Advertising Takeover Service, or CATS for short, who wanted to give passengers a break from the constant advertising on the tube. And the organiser, a guy called James Turner, said this about the campaign. He said, instead of asking you to buy something, we're asking you to think about what's really valuable in your life. It might not be cats, but it's probably something you can't find in the shops. So what's really valuable in your life? Where do you find real contentment? Is it something you can buy? Or is it something you can't find in the shops? As we look at the passage today, uh, these are the questions that Paul knew uh, the Ephesians needed to hear. Ephesus was ripe with similar consumerist culture um, that we have here today. And there were false teachers in the church promoting it. Paul knows that uh, money does not make for a funny world. And money certainly does not make for a sunny world. And that the world definitely doesn't belong to the rich man. Paul knows that the false teaching about money is dangerous, that there is ruin and destruction to follow. And he's instructed Timothy to teach against it. In the sentence just before our reading today, Paul writes this. He says, these things you are to teach and insist on. Timothy's got to insist on them. He's not got to suggest them. So what are they? What are these things that Timothy must insist on? Well, the first, I think, is this. Timothy must insist on the dangers of the false teaching. False teaching is dangerous, and the false teachers are even more so. If you read with me on the, uh, on the Bible verse, from verse 3, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. So these false teachers are claiming that their own ideas, their own words, are God's words, their own selfish ideas. They are preaching those controversies and quarrels about words that we read about in verse 4. Those false things that are unhealthy to us, that lead to disruptive and destructive results. And Paul goes as far to say that these uh, rob people of the truth. Robbing people of the truth of what the true gospel is. Robbing people of the truth of what true contentment is. So um, I've created a little diagram to show what the doctrine is that uh, these false teachers are teaching. So we have the false teachers, and they are, they are teaching that godliness leads to financial gain. And that through that financial gain, contentment will be found. Or contentment will be bought. They're basically saying that godliness will be rewarded with money that will buy happiness. But that's false. That's not true. Godliness is not rewarded with money. 
and money cannot buy lasting contentment and happiness. Uh, there's a, an English author uh, called Ruth Whitman, and she wrote, recently wrote a series of books about pursuing happiness and contentment in life. Um, and that series included one book called America the Anxious, How Our Pursuit of Happiness is Creating a Nation of Nervous Wrecks. Now, I haven't read this book, but Whitman summarizes it in an article that she wrote recently. And she says this. She says, The systematic packaging and selling of happiness is an industry estimated to be worth more than $10 billion, about the same size as Hollywood, the other great purveyor of the happily ever after. Americans spent billions a year on mindfulness products and yoga. Enough money, in fact, that savvy marketeers have even designated a whole new category they are calling spiritual spending. In a culture that loves consumerism, happiness has become the ultimate consumer product. And this spiritual spending that Whitman has noticed today, um, that's exactly what Paul is warning against to the Ephesians in our passage, that they can't buy spiritual happiness, contentment. And Whitman notes that as well later on in the article. She says this, She says, but this approach to the contentment isn't working. Despite all the effort and money they are pumping into the endeavor, Americans consistently rank as some of the least happy people in the developed world. And she goes on to explain why she thinks this is the case. Um, That The main thing, she says, is that the happiness industry in the US is just robbing people of money. And not only their money, but also their happiness. People are buying happiness remedies that don't lead to happiness at all. And that's exactly the problem in Ephesus as well. The false teachers were manipulating people's desire for contentment with something worldly, something tangible, more money. It's understandable that people might believe that having more money could lead them to happiness. As Whitman has said, that still happens today. But throwing money at something is not a lasting remedy. Money does not and cannot equal happiness. Now, please don't get me wrong. Like I said before, um, it's not wrong to have money. But it is wrong to idolize it, to see it as a goal achievable through our faith. Godliness is not rewarded with money. Paul says in verse 9 of our passage today, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. The love of money, the temptation of being rich, the desire of financial gain, these things don't lead to contentment. They lead to ruin and destruction. And it's not a nice path down there either. Paul says we'll be plunged down there, not a gentle descent. It's not like a nice pathway down to the rock pools of the beach. It's like being pushed off the cliff, onto the rocks below. It's that kind of sudden, out-of-control plunge that we will face if we love our money. And why does that happen? Why does desiring money plunge us down there? Paul continues in verse 10. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. If our lives are trees, if we're looking to bear fruit for Jesus, the love of money is an evil, diseased root trying to kill the fruit that we are trying to bear. It leads us into envy, into strife, into malicious talk, into evil suspicions and constant friction. It corrupts our minds. It stops us bearing fruit. All the things Paul has warned about already. And worst of all, it leads us away from Jesus. 
Look at verse 10, the end of our passage. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. The worst result of the false teaching of that love of money is that people wander from faith in Jesus. Abba certainly got it wrong in their song. The fact that money can do that is not funny in the slightest. When people are led away from the faith, it's as if they throw themselves into a thorn bush. That's what the end of the verse says, when they're pierced with many griefs. I don't know if you've ever fallen into your thorn bush, but it's, it's not a pleasant experience, let me tell you that. Um, those who walk away from the faith are throwing themselves into pain and grief, into ruin and destruction. So that is why Timothy is insisting on the dangers of the false teaching. The second thing that Timothy must instruct, must insist on, is this. Timothy must insist on the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and godly teaching. Timothy must continue to teach those things that Paul has taught him. Paul, who was commissioned by Jesus to preach these things. And he must do it as it leads people into godliness. Godliness that helps us to keep bearing fruit for Jesus. Paul has explained the value of this earlier in his letter. In chapter 4, verse 8, he says this. He says, For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. While spending money on physical training or mindfulness or yoga or whatever it is that um, Americans do nowadays, while that only has some value, godliness has value for all things. It is not the path to financial gain. Money does not hold value for all things. But godliness holds promise for the now and for the not yet. The more we bear fruit and grow as disciples of Jesus Christ, then the greater our understanding of the value of godliness and the more we are changed now and prepared for eternity. Now it's good to remember at this point that godliness does not lead us to salvation. If we, have, if we live a moral life, but we don't believe and trust in Jesus, um, we are not saved and we do not have eternal life. But Romans 5 verse 6 says that Christ died for the ungodly. So we are saved. Christ died before, before we became godly. We are saved before we choose to live in a godly way. But once we have chosen to believe in Jesus and we are saved, then living in godliness keeps us on the right track to eternity focused on Jesus Christ. We'll see this next week, but one of the things um, Paul says to Timothy just after this passage um, is that Timothy needs to take hold of the eternal life to which he has been called. As followers of Jesus, we are called to eternal life. That is something we can have, something we are being offered. As long as we're not tempted away from it um, with evil things like money. If we understand that, on the one hand, desiring money will plunge us down into ruin and destruction, and that, on the other, godliness will lead us into eternal life, then our choice between the two of these is going to affect our attitudes to money. If we choose to live a godly life, that is going to affect our attitude to our money. And this is why godliness is the path to great gain. Verse 6 is such a key verse here. It has it in a nutshell. Verse 6 says this. It says, godliness with contentment is great gain. The great gain of eternal life that we've been talking about. The promise of living with Jesus for eternity. 
the promise of heaven, the promise of eternal contentment. So this is why Timothy must insist on this. Um, I've got another uh, little diagram for you of the godly teaching doctrine. So the godly teachers need to teach godliness. And when godliness is understood and embraced, there must be contentment. That is our only response, to be content with the fact that we are trying to live in a godly way. Why? Because with godliness is that certain promise of eternal life, that great gain that Paul is talking about. So what does that mean for us today? What are the temptations in our lives today? What are the false teachings that we're up against? Well, the temptation to love our money is still all around us. We can see it whenever we go shopping, down the tube or the advert boards down there, the pools of the latest deals in the shops. The adverts entice us in. They tell us, you need this, buy that, this will bring you happiness. But they're wrong, like we've seen. We can't buy our happiness. Most of you will remember that the Coca-Cola tagline used to be open happiness, suggesting that each bottle of Coke that was bought was a bottle of happiness. Now, this may be true to some degree, but here's the warning. Money can't buy that. Money can't buy that lasting contentment, that lasting happiness. No matter how many bottles of Coca-Cola we buy, no matter how much money we spend trying to buy ourselves happiness, we will never find true contentment that way. If our money becomes the source of our happiness, that's a seriously dangerous place to be. And the same things might happen in our jobs. There's always the pull of the next pay rise or the next investment to make more money. And the same in our homes. I mean, here in Clapham, we're at the heart of affluent London, housing high-earning professionals working in the city. If you're anything like me, you'll be constantly tempted by that nicer house around the corner or the better lifestyle that someone's living over there. My fancy and I, Hannah, are about to start renting a flat for when we get married in a couple of months' time. And as we viewed all the different properties in the past few weeks, we found it so tempting to try and rent a flat way above our budget just for the pride of having a nicer home or a nicer lifestyle. Our money can tempt us into these selfish decisions that bring up other unhelpful attitudes, like pride, like jealousy. That's what happens when our love of money takes control of us, when it's suddenly all about the money. We end up bearing unhelpful attitudes rather than fruit for Jesus, because we are focused on the wrong things. So that's the warning. Money can't buy us lasting contentment. But here's the promise. Godliness can bring us eternal contentment. So like I just said, Hannah and I are about to get married, um, and we're in the depths of planning our wedding. Um, And the one thing we learned very quickly when we started planning is that weddings are not cheap. Um, Most of you will know that. It feels like when you add the word wedding to something, the price triples immediately. We're both very blessed to have very generous parents and very generous families um, as we plan the day, Um, but we're suddenly faced with this challenge of money that we've not faced before. It's not a challenge of a lack of money, but it's a challenge of stewarding the money that we are being blessed with in a godly way. So we have this constant choice to make as we plan. We could choose to love the money we've been given and blow it all on the most expensive wedding, the most lush venue, the nicest wine, the best food, And at times, that's been really appealing. That's 
Everyone wants the nicest wedding day they can. Or our other choice is that we could choose to steward the money in a godly way. And for us, that looks like honoring our parents through how we choose to spend their money and how we need to keep the focus of our wedding day in the right place. So that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to steward the money in a godly way. We're trying to spend it on things that really matter rather than unnecessary things like doves that are going to take flight the moment we're married or, as we genuinely have discussed, um, a really fancy boat to take us away from our reception at the end of the night, sailing off into the moonlight down the Thames. Spending the money in an unnecessary way won't lead us to lasting contentment. We're just going to feel more jealous when we see other friends, other people doing something more extravagant and more exciting on their wedding day. But if we are content with what we have on our wedding day, Hannah and I, if we keep the focus on the main thing, the vows and promises that we're going to make to each other and to God, then we will know, we know that we will find lasting contentment in our wedding and our marriage. So at first glance, um, as we read today's passage, you may have just thought, oh, this is all doom and gloom. This is all ruin and destruction. This is all evil. But really, it should be a real encouragement to us all. Let's read again from verse 6, if you read with me. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. When we choose to live in godliness, when we choose to live in that godly way, we have everything we need. And when we choose that, we also choose to be content with that decision that we have made. Paul says, as long as we have the bare essentials in this life, as long as we have food, as long as we have clothing, we can be content. Which I know is easier said than done. But it is a choice to do that. It's a choice we'll have to continually make throughout our lives. Godliness won't just come upon us because one time we decided to give it a go. If our lives are to be these trees that are bearing fruit for Jesus, we need to tend to them. We need to help them to continue to bear fruit. It's a constant choice to follow God. And because temptation will not go away, it's going to be a challenge for us for the rest of our lives. So how can we do that? How can we stay on the straight and narrow, choosing godliness over temptation? I think the first thing we need to do is we need to start by identifying all the temptations in our lives. Identifying those diseased roots that are growing the evil fruit. Perhaps it is your attitude to money or your attitude to your belongings. Or like me, maybe it's a boat for the wedding day. And however you take away the temptation, however you choose to do that, it's probably going to look like living below your means for a time at least. And that living below your means, that may mean no boat trip. It may mean not redecorating your house. It may mean having less money for a season or stewarding it in a different way. I can't tell you exactly what it looks like for you. That's something that you will need to work out on your own with God. But it will probably mean going out of your way, out of your usual routine, to avoid temptation and to devote time to listen to godly teaching and to pursue godliness.
All these options start with one decision. And that decision is to put Jesus first in our lives, to trust in him alone. To put him over our jobs, to put him over our homes, to put him over our money. It's a decision to be content in him and let our hearts want for nothing else. That decision should be made so much easier for us because of the decision that God made for us. The decision he made to allow us that great gain. The decision he made to allow us eternal life. There's that famous promise in John's gospel that sums it up so perfectly. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God chose to give his one and only son so that when we choose to believe in him, when we choose to trust him and put him first in our lives, we will not face ruin and destruction. We will not perish. But what we will have when we choose to make that decision is we will have great gain. What we will have is eternal contentment. Should we pray? Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, that you can bring us eternal contentment. We thank you for sending your son so that when we believe and trust in him, we have everything we need. We have that promise of eternal life. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this passage that we've been looking at. We thank you that you can warn us about the temptations of this world and how we can avoid them. And right now, would you speak to each one of us And in your kindness, would you reveal or highlight to us those temptations in our lives? Whether it be our money, our homes, our jobs, that boat on the wedding day. And Father, as we recognize these temptations, we we give them over to you now. We choose to let go of them. And we choose to trust in you. Help us to know what it means to be content in you as we seek to bear fruit for Jesus in our lives. And we pray this in your precious name. Amen.